The Sunday Review with Tim Graham. Hello, this is Tim Graham and welcome to the Sunday Review podcast. We've revamped things a little to focus more on the stories that matter to you, whether they're from our local community or items of national interest that affect our everyday lives. We'll also be replaying some of the best bits from Meridian FM. In this edition, we'll be taking a trip to Boston to find out what's on offer for visitors, hearing how young people are still finding it tough growing up LGBT+, and talking to Guide Dogs UK about their new My Sighted Guide scheme. Plus, we'll be hearing about the plight of the Kilmarnock Horse Rescue, we've a feature on the Kent, Surrey and Sussex Air Ambulance, and an interview with the filmmakers behind a local movie shot at East Court. But we start with Martha Sheridan from the Greater Boston Visitor and Convention Bureau in conversation with Norman Wong on his Good Afternoon show recently. Well, I'm very pleased that we have with us today Martha Sheridan, who is the CEO of the Greater Boston Convention and Visitors Bureau. So good afternoon, Martha. Good afternoon. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Could you tell our listeners what is your organization, the Greater Boston Convention and Visitors Bureau? Sure. Our organization is the official destination marketing organization for the city of Boston and the surrounding area, promoting the area as a premier location for leisure travel and meetings and conferences as well. So uh, when we think about vacationing in the USA, we tend to think about Florida because of the theme parks and sunshine and beaches, etc. Or even New York for long weekends, shopping and sightseeing. So why should Boston be considered as a vacation destination for us? Well, I think Boston couldn't be farther from the experience you might have in Orlando at theme parks because it is a very unique and historic destination with a lot to offer in terms of tours and attractions relating to the founding of America. It's a city that is on the water on Boston Harbor, so we have a lot of wonderful on-the-water activities such as whale watching, harbor tours, duck tours, etc. It's a city known for our incredible colleges and universities across the river in Cambridge, Harvard, and MIT. And you have all of the amenities of a large-scale city such as New York, but in a more manageable fashion where you're able to walk around and navigate the city very, very easily. Do you see Boston as a vacation destination for for couples or for for families? Actually, we find ourselves to be popular for pretty much every segment of the traveling public. We are a great destination for families with attractions like the New England Aquarium and the Children's Museum and the Science Museum, but also for couples, we have beautiful art museums, the Museum of Fine Arts, the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. We have incredible dining options, a lot of chef-owned restaurants. And also for girls and guys getaways, there are fun, fun activities. We have great nightlife. We have great sporting events, you know, such as catching a game at Fenway Park. We have food halls where you can experience dozens of food vendors and under one roof with entertainment and lots of activity there. So really, for any demographic, Boston is an ideal ideal destination. Well, that sounds like a great place to visit. You mentioned uh, that Boston is a, an historic city. What sort of, could you give us a sort of flavor of what sort of historic tours or attractions there actually are? As, as we approach the uh, 250th anniversary of the of the birth of the of the United States, which many of those activities took place in Boston, we can uh, experience a lot of those historic activities around that. So, first of all, in December of 23, we'll be, we will be 
celebrating the 200th anniversary of the Boston Tea Party, which I know many over here are familiar with. They have a great museum ship and reenactments. We have a walking tour called the Freedom Trail, which is a great way to experience all of the historic sites within the downtown historic neighborhood. We have the Black Experience walking tour where you can experience African-American history in Boston. Actually, January, we'll be unveiling a beautiful sculpture, which is a monument to Martin Luther King Jr. and his wife, Coretta Scott King, who many don't know, actually met in Boston. And um, Dr. King had a lot of, a few famous walks in Boston. So there's so much to do. We have trolley tours. We have duck tours where you can experience the history, but also have some fun on the water. Uh, many ways to experience the history of Boston. Sounds like a, a place I should be thinking about. You you mentioned whale watching. Obviously, Boston is a, a seaport. Are there other marine attractions? Well, you would pick out pick up the the whale watching boat right in Boston Harbor in the middle of the city, and it would be about an hour hour out, an hour back, and you know an hour within the whale watching area. You're going towards uh, Cape Cod and Provincetown to see that activity, but certainly very convenient uh, where you wouldn't have to go to the west coast to, to do whale watching you can see it right on the east coast and there are quite a lot of sightings we also have other boat tours we have harbor cruises we have sailboat tours you know we have some beautiful islands in boston harbor you can take a ferry out there picnic for the day hike on those islands etc so lots of on the water activities and near the water activities so uh, as a seaport i would expect boston has some great seafood on offer well, yeah, we are very well known for seafood in Boston. We are known for, obviously, chowder and lobster rolls, uh, baked cod, as we call it. We do have some fish and chips in Boston as well that are pretty popular and also whole steamed lobsters. But we have a, a wide array of, of cuisines in Boston, uh, from Italian to Caribbean, Latin, uh, Latin American cuisine, uh, very, very popular for quite a diverse array of cuisine. Um, if anybody was considering going o- over to Boston for a vacation, would you suggest they stay downtown or is there a preferred suburb where one could stay? You know, depending on the type of accommodation you're looking for, we have plenty of a variety of accommodation downtown. We, you know, it's obviously easier to do that. You don't need to rent a car. The city is very walkable. But if you prefer to perhaps hub and spoke, use Boston as a central point for exploring other parts of New England, you could certainly find a lot of uh, availability in the sub- suburban hotel market. If you wanted, you could rent a car and drive down to Cape Cod. You could head north to the mountains of Maine, Vermont, and um, New Hampshire, head out to the western part of the state, uh, the Berkshires. So really depending on the length of your stay and what you want to accomplish during your stay, uh, there's a variety of options. Well, I'd like to, to touch on um, surrounding states, the new in, in, no, the region of New England. But before I, we go to there, you, know, you mentioned about walking around the city. Is, is there a public transport system in, in Boston? We do. We have a public transport system. It's called the T, operated by the MBTA. So we have uh, color-coded train lines that go throughout the city and beyond, and they make their way into the various neighborhoods around Boston as well as some of the suburban towns. So it's a very easy way to get around Boston, very accessible, easy to use. So again, you don't necessarily have to rent a car if you're staying in the city of Boston and want to experience other areas, you know, within a 20-mile radius of Boston. You also mentioned about sport, and Boston is famous for its major sports teams. 
and you mentioned Fenway Park in particular, the home of the Boston Red Sox, I believe, the baseball team. Yes, that's it. Are tickets easily obtainable for those sort of events? You know, it really depends on the game, who they're playing. Obviously, we have our major rivalries. So, for instance, if the Red Sox are playing the New York Yankees, they would be harder to come by. But uh, there are certainly tickets available to most games. And they also offer a really fun tour experience at Fenway Park where on non-game days you can take a tour of the park and the Green Monster and learn all about the history of that iconic ball field and the history of the Red Sox as well. So you don't need to be at Fenway on game day. You can experience it pretty much any time of year. And that neighborhood has a lot of activities around Fenway Park. There's some beautiful green spaces as well as restaurants and, and walking tours, etc. What would you consider to be the best time of year to be visiting Boston? I'm thinking about the weather and temperature when I ask this question. Sure. Yeah. Well, we like to consider ourselves a four season destination. You know, the winters, we can get some snow, of course, and it gets chilly, but we do have plenty of activities in the wintertime as well. I'd say from a temperature perspective, anytime in the spring or fall is a great time to visit. Those are our busier seasons, though. So if you want to, you know, have a little bit of a, a bargain, uh, you might think about June or July. It gets a little bit warmer in the summer as it is here, but you might find more availability with hotel rooms and the rooms might be more affordable at that time of year as well as the winter. You, you mentioned snow and cold. So would, would Boston, not maybe not the city of itself, but the surrounding areas be considered as a skiing vacation option? Absolutely. About an hour and a half north of the city, you would hit your first ski mountain. They're skiing in New Hampshire, Maine, and Vermont. Fairly affordable compared to European skiing. Uh, there's a lot of options up there and really just a, a beautiful, beautiful place to be in the winter. And as I said, it's, it's pretty accessible from Boston. Anywhere from, I'd say, 90 minutes to a three to four hour drive, you can have dozens of ski options available to you. Now, as we mentioned, Boston, of course, is in Massachusetts and it's in a cluster of states known as New England. And you mentioned Vermont and I think you mentioned another state too, but is that an expensive option to visit other surrounding states for, for day trips or maybe even a few days? if you use Boston as your base for your vacation? No, no, not necessarily. Again, it depends on the time of year. Uh, but we we are very accessible via car and actually even via uh, bus and Amtrak to several other New England destinations. As I mentioned, Cape Cod is accessible. Uh, you've got the uh, beautiful state of Rhode Island, the city of Providence, the city of Newport, which we call the city by the sea is a, about a um, an 80-minute drive from Boston, very easy to get to. You could do it as a day trip or spend an overnight. And then, of course, uh, out to the western part of Mass in the Berkshires, which is iconically beautiful, and then the mountains of, of the New Hampshire, Vermont, and Maine. And, and the Maine seacoast is spectacular, you know, really any time from uh, April all the way through November as well. So there's a lot of diversity in product, and it's readily accessible. So if you were to book, you know, say a seven to 10 day vacation over to New England, uh, you could fill that time very easily with quite a variety of attractions and uh, destinations. So it, it makes it more attractive, not just a visit to a city. You know, you've got so much more to see in the surrounding areas. Without question. Um, I understand Boston is the closest major city in the U.S. to the U.K. How long does it take to fly to Boston? And you know which airlines from the U.K. will fly to Boston? Yeah, it's, it's about a seven-hour flight over from here to the U.S., depending on the headwinds, and then six 
minutes or so coming back from Boston, depending on the headwinds. And we have uh, United JetBlue just opened service to Gatwick, and they'll be launching Heathrow service soon. We have Delta and American Airlines, and they all code share with other, like Virgin uh, is a code share with American Airlines, and I believe BA code shares with American. So there's plenty of availability um, and plenty of options uh, for flights direct to, to the Boston airport. And the airport is conveniently located right in the middle of the city, so you will, would only have a 15-minute ride from the airport to your lodging accommodation. Well, you paint a, a great picture for, as for Boston as a vacation destination. So as we come to the end of our little chat here, what would you say is the sort of, I don't know, five must-do activities or distractions when you visit Boston? You probably mentioned a few already. Yeah, I would say um, the Freedom Trail is at the top of the list, obviously. is something very, very popular. Uh, I would visit some of our beautiful art museums, the Museum of Fine Arts, Isabella Stewart. You want to get an experience in one of our neighborhoods. There, Roxbury is a great place to start. There is There are walking tours there. Live Like a Local Tours, it's called, and you can get a real taste of how locals live in the Roxbury and Dorchester area. Of course, I mentioned Boston Duck Tours, which are a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, any kind of on-the-water activity such as a harbor tour or a, um, a whale watch. And, and some of the whale watch tours are actually co-partnering with the New England Aquarium, which is a fantastic facility right in the middle of the city. And you can have a naturalist on board that will talk to you about the, the whale watch experience. So great, great partnership to the aquarium and then get out on the water with one of their naturalists. So to close then, in, you think it's possible in one sentence you could tell us why I need to visit the iconic city of Boston next year? I think everybody should visit Boston because it's easily accessible from the UK and it has such a diverse variety of activities to offer from great cuisine, sightseeing and tours and very friendly, welcoming people and it's walkable. Thank you. So, uh, Martha, uh, thank you for your time. But just before you go, where, where could we find more information about visiting Boston or for planning our Boston vacation? To plan your trip, I would first stop at bostonusa.com, where you'll have a, a multitude of resources available to you to plan a trip, and also links to some of the other destinations that I mentioned around Massachusetts and New England. Well, thank you for your time today, Martha. I'm certainly going to be considering Boston as a vacation destination for me for next year, as, as international travel has now opened up. So I, I look forward to sampling some of the delights that you've mentioned today. And I just thank you for your time today. Thank you. And I'm going to hold you to that. Let me know when you're coming. Definitely will. <laughs> thank you, Have Martha. Have a great afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. Over the summer and throughout September, Pride celebrations campaigning for LGBT plus equality continue across the UK. However, according to new data, the need for positive messaging around LGBT plus issues needs to start for people at school, as this is where negative experiences often begin. I'm joined now by Dominic Arnold, Chief Executive of Just Like Us, to tell us more. Dominic, welcome to the Sunday Review. What does the new research tell us about the experiences of LGBT plus students? Well, um, the survey was about LGBT plus adults because we wanted to find out what their experience at school had been like. And we found that LGBT plus adults were twice as likely to be bullied and avoid going altogether. Um, and the LGBT bullying rates today uh, are also worse than they, they were as well. So uh, quite a grim picture overall. 
Now, society seems to be more accepting of LGBT plus people in general. Why do you think students are still suffering? Well, I think that a lot of the advancements that the LGBT plus community has had over the last 30 years, so probably name them, couldn't we? You know, equal marriage, serving the armed forces, adoption, fertilisation, all these sorts of things, um, actually all affect adults rather than young people. And I think that if you're at school and you're being bullied, uh, actually the fact that you can get married one day probably isn't that clear to your mind. You're probably thinking about how to get through the day. Uh, so I think that actually uh, young people have been left behind in the advancements that so many of us in the LGBT plus community have So what are some of the issues that your organisation hears from these young people? Well, we know that LGBT plus young people in school are about twice as likely to be bullied as non-LGBT plus young people. And we know that there often isn't a clear reporting process in school. So if you are being bullied, you're not really sure what, what you can do about it. Uh, and for that reason, LGBT plus young people are far less likely to tell a teacher uh, if they are being bullied. But unfortunately, it's a case of just being grinning and bearing it for lots of young people who are having absolutely dreadful times. What are the sorts of things that you think can be done to help address these issues? Well, in schools that send positive messages about being LGBT, uh, LGBT young people are likely to be less anxious, less depressed and less likely to attempt suicide. So it's really, really important that schools are making some progress in this area and making sure they're telling their young people that who LGBT plus people are and that there's nothing wrong with that. And what's Just Like Us doing specifically in this area? So Just Like Us runs a number of programmes. So the first one is School Diversity Week at the end of June, uh, where we ask schools across the country uh, to do everything they can uh, to showcase LGBT plus diversity and inclusion. Uh, and this year, almost 5,000 schools took part, so we had a really, really fantastic year, and a third of them were primary schools. About half of all secondary schools in the UK take part in School Diversity Week, uh, so it's a really, really big, exciting event. Uh, the second programme we've got is Pride Groups, and we set up LGBT plus and ally groups in schools across the country. We've got about 200 of those nationwide. Uh, and then lastly, we train 18 to 25-year-old LGBT plus people to speak in schools and workplaces about their experience, um, really to let people know that LGBT plus people exist uh, and how happy, wonderful and fulfilling. Fantastic. And how can people get involved if they'd like to help your organisation in some way? Well, I'd say head over to our website at www.justlikeus.org and you should have everything you need to get involved, whether you want to volunteer or whether you want your school to get involved with one of our programmes. Fantastic. Dominic, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. If you'd like to find out more about the charity, volunteer or donate, visit justlikeus.org. That's justlikeus.org. We'll post a link on our social media, on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Now, My Sighted Guide is a new scheme run by Guide Dogs UK. They're currently looking for volunteers to help assist blind people with everyday tasks. Paul Tolmy spoke to Emily Knott from My Sighted Guide recently on his mid-morning show. Perhaps you could start off, um, Emily, by telling us uh, what My Sighted Guide actually is. Yeah, absolutely. So My Sighted Guide is a department within Guide Dogs, and what we, the reason we came about is because we realise that there's a lot of blind and partially sighted people who could be missing out on support to help them gain independence and live the life they choose. 
because there are a lot of people out there who can't have or don't want a guide dog for various reasons. Or we could be helping someone on their path to getting a guide dog, whether that be for fitness or practicing routes, anything like that. So with my sighted guide, we train volunteers on how to guide a person with sight loss with confidence, skill and empathy. And that's to help them get out and about. So it's, you know, from the door service where you'll go out for walks with someone. It could, you know, could be anything from, from going for a, for a walk in a local area to going to a crafting club or even going to a football match. You mentioned there as well, Emily, about independence. And it's so important, isn't it, that, yeah. that blind people just, although it's devastating when it happens, and their sight can deteriorate sometimes rapidly, sometimes slightly over you know a longer period of time. But it's important that they 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 don't want to lose those. You know, it, it doesn't exclude them, does it? It keeps. This is what my sighted guy is there for to to help people oh. to keep that to keep those relationships going. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's so important. Uh, you know that that independence. And when we're talking about independence, it. It's sometimes independence away from friends and family mm. as well because a lot of people with, with sight loss struggle to, it, you know, in their words a lot of the time, depend on friends and family. So having a volunteer who can, can, can go out with them and give them that independence can be a real game changer. You know, as volunteers for us, honestly, we really do enrich and change lives um, and it's so important. Because, you know, we've got to think about well-being as well, which is, I know, a hot, a hot topic at the moment. Mm. Um, so, as you can imagine, sight loss and mental health can come hand in hand. So, it really makes our service even more important. Um, and, you know, even to, to reinforce how much of a difference our service can make, uh, we, we have an elderly service user who was unable to go out for walks by himself. He became really isolated. So we matched him up with a volunteer, and after their first walk, the service user said to us that he has had the best night's sleep he's had in years. Mm. And that really hit home because, you know, sleeping is one of the key aspects of well-being. And as a service, we helped improve that for him. So across the board we can make such a difference volunteering and offering our service. So what, what's, if people are listening and thinking, oh, this sounds like something I'd like to get involved with, but um, perhaps not quite sure about what the training involves, perhaps you could tell us about a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got some really great training um, mm. for the My Sighted Guide service. Um, if you came along to our, our training, you would get practical sighted guide training, We'd go through communication skills, diversity inclusion, sight loss awareness, and you would also go through a safeguarding course as well because safeguarding our volunteers and our service users is really important to us um, and much more. So it's really great in-depth training that will give you skills that you can use in everyday life as well. Um, and then if it's something that you enjoy, we can we can do some further training and hopefully get you partnered up with with one of our service users. And it's it's, it's good to, to note as well, isn't it, Emily, that 
it's not just beneficial to the to the blind person, but it's also going to be massively beneficial to the volunteer because there's a, an immense amount of skills that they're going to pick up. Oh, absolutely. There's there's so many ways it can benefit the volunteer. Like you say, with the the skills that you're going to gain, you can gain confidence yourself from it. Um, you know, even if you're out and about for a day and you see someone who's you know blind or with sight loss. And before, you might not have confidence to go up and see if they might need assistance. Mm. But this would hopefully empower you to be able to confidently do that. Um, and as well, we get so much feedback from our volunteers about how life-changing it is for them to be in a partnership. Um, you know, we can learn so much from our service users. You can you get a really good working relationship with someone um, and yeah, have just a real positive effect on everyone involved. We've all, we've all just, we all know what we've just come out of and um, it's amazing, isn't it, how a person becoming blind, life just takes on, you know, simple, just even the most basic of things like making a cup of tea or, or you know, washing up, just the most basic yeah. tasks just take on all these new dimensions. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, you know, such a scary time mm. to, you know, go through any kind of sight loss. Um, and, you know, over, you mentioned lockdown there, and over that period, we have, you know, started to get a small idea of what isolation can feel like. Yeah. And our service users, you know, are potentially going through that every day of their lives. Um, and on top of that, having all of these obstacles of, basically learning how to, to do things and adapt to, to doing things with their sight loss. Um, so, you know, anything that we can do to help them live the life they choose yeah. with our service, then it's, it's a really amazing thing. Uh, Emily, thank you so much for your time, and uh, we really appreciate all you're doing, and uh, we look forward to uh, hopefully getting a few more volunteers in there as uh, my sighted guide. Thank, thank you. you so much for having me, Paul. Uh, I really appreciate our it. Our pleasure. Thank you for your brilliant work, and uh, hopefully speak to you again soon. And if you'd like to find out more about my sighted guide, you can visit guidedogs.org.uk forward slash volunteer. That's guidedogs.org.uk forward slash volunteer. We'll post the link on our Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Come on, of course, Rescue is a charity in, uh, in and around Sussex, which was uh, run by uh, Carol Jackson and her team of volunteers. They provide a rescue and rehabilitation centre for horses, ponies and donkeys that have been abandoned or abused in and around Sussex, as well as supporting people on the autistic spectrum. But recently they received the devastating news that the land they're currently on is being sold and they dropped just 154 days to find new premises. Um, and I'm delighted to say that uh, Carol is with me here in the studio now. Good morning, Carol. Good morning. Thank you so much for coming in. I only wish it were in happier circumstances. And, and thank you for inviting me. Yeah. A pleasure to have you here. So um, we'll come on to your um, situation in just a second, but let's, um, let's talk about the Command of Course Rescue itself first. Tell us, uh, tell us what, it, what, well, what you guys do. It was founded by myself uh, nearly 20 years ago. Um, it started off with myself rescuing mm. um, a horse and then I rescued um, an ex-military horse that became quite famous for her being in the military and myself going to shows, etc. And it sort of went on from there. You know, people got in touch with me and said, 
this horse is not in a good way or this animal is not in a good way, is there any way you can help? So we were sort of self-funding for about 12 years and we decided to go for charity status um, and that, that just puts us a little bit more on the map. Mm. Um, and then we were able to go out and do a little bit more within the community as what we do now, as you know. Yeah. So you're, um, you obviously, the uh, the horses are either come to you or you're contacted and then you go and assess them and, and then... Yes, we, being a smaller charity, um, we don't have the right to seize any animal. No. That has to be done by those yeah. higher up. Yeah, of course. Um, so we can help people. Like this morning I've had a phone call. A lady is concerned about a little pony that I am going to see on my way home. Yeah. Um, she sent me pictures. I do feel there is cause for concern. So I will drop in on my way home today. Um, and, you know, that's what we do. People will contact us, ask advice. Mm. Um, or if they come to us, they want to take on one of our ponies mm. uh, or horses or donkeys. Um, so we advise them. They come to the yard and they come to meet the animal. I had one go out last week. Been in a home, uh, child outgrown the pony, so he's come home, and luckily we had people waiting. Yeah. So, you know, he's gone to a lovely home, which is nice. So that's what we do. We go out, we um, give advice, we go into schools, we have been to St. Catherine's with the donkeys, um, we help the mental health team, because I'm a strong uh, supporter of the mental health team, because when yeah. people say... People have got a mental health problem. It's not. Mental health is an illness mm. that should be recognised. And we find the people that come to us that have this mental health illness, the joy they get from the animals, and they may have never been around an animal no. before, it's just rewarding what we can help them with and they help our animals with too. It works both ways. And I, I was saying in the introduction as well, you, you obviously um, you have... Uh, you have people coming to your centre uh, that are on the autistic spectrum, and they yes. have that respite, and yes. they can they yes. can have the time to to be with the animals and just. Yeah. I mean, we recently Anna Kennedy, who is um, yeah. she's chairman of the yeah. autism group, and Maria Cook and Lily Cook, they came to us a week ago, and it was lovely to have the children uh, have their picnic because they haven't been to us since we've been on this property, mm. and a few weeks ago when we were discussing. This, this picnic which they just had we were arranging christmas events and now we can't have that no so which is quite upsetting but it was a lovely and joyful afternoon to have the children yeah and their parents enjoy a picnic yeah. and the animals as well yeah that, so let's let's come on to the um the this so just explain to us what the situation is now Right, situation is now, we've been on the property now for exactly three years. Um, Whereabouts is that? Uh, this is in Norwood Hill. Right, okay. So it's just on the Surrey, yeah. Surrey side. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, the land owners are going to sell mm. along with the properties. So it comes as a lot. Yeah. So the whole estate's got to be sold. So we've been given six months to find alternative accommodation and we've got to the 1st of February. And being we're coming up to winter, it's going to be extremely difficult yeah. for us because most of the animals that we have now are on the elderly side and they're on the sanctuary side. 
and we wouldn't even dream of putting them into a no. home. It, they are just elderlies, as like our grandparents, they need care. Yeah. Not saying they wouldn't get care if they went out, but they're very settled mm. in their ways, and they've teamed up with a partner, and it would be very sad to break that partnership up. Yeah. So this is the situation now. We have got to relocate, as I said, very difficult over the winter months that are coming. Mm. So we need to find somewhere pretty soon, take down the buildings that we've got because they are all ours and we were donated the money to build them, clear the site that we're on. But we need to put our buildings up in a place of safety so that come the winter months, our animals have got a safe house. Because mm. it's not just a question of moving, just moving site. It's, yeah. it's so, so many other complica- complications it's, as it's well. It's the expense yeah. as well, because we've also got to get a team of um, workmen in to take down the buildings, um, put the buildings back up, mm. uh, lay the rubber matting, um, take down the hay barn. You know, there's lots of yeah. things. The cost of moving the animals as well, because, you know, Transport is is not cheap. No. And so we've got all that to consider as well. And with the winter months coming up, uh, there is food, um, vet bills, hay to consider as well. As well as all the other costs that that come into running them. Yes, exactly. Exactly that, yes. So what is it that you'd like people to help, that you're hoping to help you with? Anyway, I mean, you know, we have got a few possibilities that we've been given. Some have been quite a long way away, and I'm very, very grateful for, you know, those people that have contacted me. Um, I myself have got family. I don't want to be too far away from my family. Um, I've got volunteers that have been with me a long time now that would be heartbroken Mm. if they couldn't carry on their work. Yeah. Uh, Because, as I've said, some of these have suffered with a mental health Mm. illness, and this is their outlet. This is their bit of comfort that they enjoy so we would like anybody that is in around sort of like the Gatwick area if they've got anything that they think that they could offer the charity uh, whether it be a field and we could put up our field shelters um, we just want to be safe and you know whether it be a two or three year lease uh, possibly longer at least it gives us time to actually find somewhere else yeah it's a temporary solution yes, to them. Yes, yeah. because the winter months are a very, very big concern to mm. me. Yeah, I bet they are. Um, and, and, of course, if anyone's listening out there today but that can't necessarily help with land or equipment, yeah. they can still donate, can't they? Yes, they can still donate. Okay. There is a donate button on our website. Yeah. I'll give you the website. It's uh, khrsussex.co.uk. It's a lovely new uh, new, new site that's just, uh, that's just gone up. Obviously... We were saying as well, um, Carol, that you have these wonderful activities for autistic children and, and other services, but you can't now provide that. No, I mean, Christmas, you know, Christmas time, we were in church Christmas Eve. Yeah. Annie, our very famous nativity play donkey, mm. she goes into church. Um, and, you know, two weeks prior to Christmas, we we're at nativity plays, school fates, school fairs, mm. um, and nursing homes. Uh, Annie, our donkey, she goes up and down and lift at the nursing home, and she quite find it quite amusing. People love her, mm. but because this has hit us so hard, and with the move, I won't be able to provide no. 
that this year, which is quite upsetting. Mm. I, if you don't mind me asking, what sort of an impact has it had on you? I'm devastated. Yeah. Absolutely devastated. You know, it's been a tough few years for me. Yeah. Um, you know, because A, I'm going to be homeless because I need to find a property to mm. move to as well. Because I rent a separate property mm. from the yard, but it is on site. But that is being sold as well. Um, and as I said, until I can actually get these animals sorted in um, a safe environment, I can't even think about looking at for a home for myself. No. Because I need to be close by. Mm. You know, we might have a horse that perhaps goes down with colic or, you know, for some other reason. I need to be very, very near to them in order that, you know, if it needed a vet or whatever, that I could... Be it's there. not a question of driving 20 or 30 no. minutes away no. It's, no. no hopefully um if anyone's out there then uh, they'd like to uh, contribute either by um either by uh, equipment or um if you can offer any if you know anyone who might be able to help with uh, land um then as we said you can either contact um carol through the website directly that's uh Claremont at course rescues that's khrsussex.co.uk or pass your details to us and uh, get in touch with the station we'll, we'll pass those details on to carol and uh, hopefully hopefully we can find a, a, a good uh, resolution for everyone also this week, on her Open for Business show, Samantha Day spoke to Bridget Pepper from the Kent, Surrey and Sussex Air Ambulance to find out more about the work they do. We are Air Ambulance Charity, Kent, Surrey, Sussex, and we refer to ourselves as KSS because uh, the charity name's quite long. Um, and we've been in existence now for 32 years, in fact. Uh, started out as Kent Air Ambulance um, and then expanded to cover Surrey and East and West Sussex. Um, we actually fly a HEMS helicopter emergency medical service out of Red Hill and we have a second base at Rochester. That's where our charity offices are. We are, I mean, people are very surprised to find out that we are a charity because they think that this should be funded by the government. Yes. Um, being a charity, um, we do rely on the support of the people in the communities that we serve, and we're very fortunate in getting that support. So um, each year we have to raise about £15.2 million, wow. and 86% of that comes from supporters, so it's quite incredible. And what that pays for is just absolutely amazing. Um, our teams consist of a doctor and um, highly skilled paramedics and this is, we're talking senior doctor level here um, and they attend medical emergencies and traumas across the region um, so most of the time that, that's done by, by dispatching the helicopter but we also have some fast response cars uh, sometimes it's more appropriate or weather dictates that we have to go by car and basically what we do is take the emergency room to the patient so if someone's had a stroke or a cardiac arrest um, or a car accident um, cycling incidents horse riders that's a, a very unfortunately dangerous mm, um, sport yeah it is I mean, we're a charity that, uh, that's there for everybody, really. And we go out to people in their times of really extreme need. 
So what does your fleet comprise of? So um, we fly, our helicopters are um, AW169s, that's Augusta Westland 169s, um, and they are state-of-the-art helicopters. We used to have McDonnell Douglas 902 Explorers, and those, um, those were brilliant, and we've still got one actually as a backup helicopter. But the AWs um, are bigger inside, so they allow the crew 360-degree access to the patient, which is very important. Um, it also means that we can treat the patient inside the helicopter. So previously with the old helicopters, if uh, we had to treat someone literally immediately, which is often the case, we would maybe have to do that out in, the, in, in all weathers. Whereas now we can at least scoop them into the helicopter and, and get, uh, we've got room to, to treat them inside before we transport them off. Um, so there are those. And then we also have these amazing fast response cars. Um, and we've had, I have to say, we've had a lot of help from the local Lions groups in raising funds. And in the past, they have funded these fast response cars for us, which is quite incredible. Um, and the fast response cars we use when perhaps the helicopters can't be flown because of low cloud. Um, a lot of people think we can't fly in the wind uh, but we actually can. Um, wind doesn't usually stop us, but low cloud certainly does. So the fast response cars are used when we can't use the helicopters. And the fast, when, when we know that we've got to use the fast response cars because of weather, what we tend to do is put the crew in them and sit them in, uh, in strategic places um, alongside motorways because that means that we can get to wherever we, we're needed quite quickly because the car's already on a motorway. So you're actually taking those uh, very qualified medics to the scene. Absolutely, that's right. And it's all about uh, when, when someone's suffered a really, really extreme trauma or uh, a life-threatening um, illness or situation, the vital thing is to get them help straight away. So we can get to the scene very, very quickly within 30 minutes at the, at the absolute outside. Um, and then we do have everything that you would have in a standard emergency department. Um, so we have some groundbreaking equipment and we also have the really just an amazing team on our service delivery team of, of doctors and paramedics. So they can treat the patient on the scene and then assess them and work out which is the most uh, suitable hospital for their needs. And uh, generally, 99% of the time, I would think, we fly people to major trauma centres, so up to London or, or down to Brighton. Uh, amongst just to name a few it's an emergency service which um everybody wants to know is there but none of us want to have to use it no, but definitely not. but but you know if we did we would we would be in really really safe hands i've worked for the charity now for coming on for 14 years yeah, yeah and it's just incredible you know some of the patients that come back to us some of the stories we hear and and you know when we hear things that the crew have done it, it still takes my breath away even after all these years i hold them in the highest esteem now the total number of incidents in an average year would be um well last year for example in 2021 we attended 3051 oh, really? incidents mm -hmm. so 
It's, it's very, very high. And this year, we've um, attended a lot of incidents in the East Grinstead area. We've done 320 um, in East Grinstead and West Sussex and around, well, and around the whole of West Sussex. Uh, that's since the 1st of January. Um, so West Sussex accounts has accounted so far for 16% of our call-outs so far this year. Right, Bridget, can you tell us uh, what you do? Okay, so I'm the volunteering manager for uh, for KSS, and uh, I look after a team of currently 149 volunteers. Oh, do you? Um, because uh, all everything that I told you before about what we do um, is amazing. Absolutely none of it would be possible without our volunteers. It just simply wouldn't be possible. So they're incredible people. Um, we've had volunteers ageing from age 16 up to 96. Oh, great. And, uh, and, yeah, and I coordinate them, and um, I'm responsible for recruiting new volunteers, looking after them while they're with us. One, one vital job they do for us is emptying collecting boxes when you, you know go into a shop or a oh. pub um, and... Uh, they they look after the collection boxes, bank the money for us. They go out to events. They give talks. Uh, some of them near to Rochester come in the office to help us there. Um, they do it, they do cheering on our challenge events team members at Brighton Marathon and things like oh, that. Yeah. Um, and it's a great thing, you know. Volunteering is fantastic um, for the young people because it's a really good thing to get on their CVs. Uh, quite a few of them have come along to us in their uh, sort of in their A-level years and in their uni years and said that it's a, just an incredible experience. Mm-hmm. Um, they get to meet a lot of people, they get out and about, they get to see what event planning is like. Um, so we really welcome young volunteers. Uh, but we also rely incredibly on our older volunteers as well, um, many of whom are in work still and they help us out on weekends, um, many of whom are retired and have got more time on their hands. And for them, they find it's a fantastic way to you know get into a bit more of a social life get out and meet people so yeah we're, we're crying out actually for volunteers in this area we've only got one in the east grinstead area oh. uh, and so we'd love more volunteers here and to the east of east grinstead as well yeah. so you know if anybody listening is interested yeah. we'd just love to hear from you so what, how do you go about raising funds? In lots of different ways. So um, a, a lot of our regular funding, which we really do rely on, comes through our lottery members and people who give regularly. Um, we have people who just simply give us donations, people who leave us money in their wills, which is such a lovely, lasting tribute. Um, but we also do lots and lots of fundraising, of course. So uh, we sell Christmas cards through our website, which is going to be launching very soon. Um, but we do lots of fundraising events. So we've got one coming up at Aylesford Priory in Kent, which is called the Heli Hike. And the heli hike's going to take place on the 24th of September. So obviously we've got a lot of people that aren't from Kent going along to that. It's going to be a lovely family day. We've got lots of entertainment for children. Um, It's either a three-mile or a a seven-and-a-half-mile walk. Um, We're going to have our crew there to talk to people. It's going to be a really... Yeah, it's going to be a lovely day. Um, So that's one big thing that we've got coming up soon that we've still got spaces open for. Oh, right, okay. Um, And in November, we're launching what we hope is going to be 
become a real flagship event for us um, where we're launching host a roast so um uh, you know a lot of charities do coffee mornings and cake sales what we'd love to do is bring people together um with their families friends or colleagues and host a roast dinner people give a donation and everyone has a lovely roast dinner um, and the money comes to the air ambulance. And we've got businesses coming on board as well who want to give uh, maybe a percentage of, of their sales from butcher's shops or pubs. And we'd love some pubs to maybe host a roast and have a KSS fundraising day for us. Lots of ways that people can get involved. And, and it's a nice, you know, we're all about keeping families together. That's why we exist, is to save lives and to improve the quality of lives for the people we save. We want those families to be together. So what better way, really, for our supporters than to come together in the dark dingy month of november and 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 any time actually they can they can join it from now on and and just have a lovely heartwarming roast dinner and raise a bit of cash for us so yeah people can take part in either of those by popping along to our website and and if you if you sign up for host to roast you get a free tea towel as well oh, <laughs> bonus well, it's sold it then, hasn't it? <laughs> bonus yeah <laughs> that certainly is a bonus what is the website to it's, go on it's very look? simple to remember our website is aakss.org.uk there are some drop-down menus at the top or you can use the search button. The drop-down menus, if you go to Get Involved, you'll see lots of other drop-downs about events that we've got going on or about becoming a volunteer. It's very simple to be become a volunteer and all the contact numbers are on there also. So it's also a very interesting website because it's got some patient stories on there so you can read about what what's happened to some of our patients as well. Oh. Bridget, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us about that. I do apologise about the banging. That's all right. Thank you very much for having me. And our final highlight from this week's programmes on Meridian FM also comes from Samantha Day's Open for Business show. She spoke to Xander Phillips and Tom Walters, producers of a new movie called Pavilion, shot in East Grinstead. Well, yeah, it's about a, a person who, who goes into, um, into East Court one day and uh, he bumps into somebody... Uh, a young lady who he believes that he's he's met before. He's got a sense that he's he's maybe met her at some time, and uh, they they uh, sort of fall in love, and um, they don't realise, but they're they're sort of trapped in this uh, in in this strange uh, environment, and it's it's um, changing in time throughout the story. So throughout the time that they're there, it's it's like in a, almost like a time loop. So all the events that are happening to them in the moment when they first meet, start to sort of uh, change as time goes through. So, yeah. me, right. me, myself, when I've been speaking to people, I've been saying it's a bit like Summer in Time meets Groundhog Day. So. <laughs> Good description. <laughs> Good description. Now, you're both producers, are you, of this film? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. And how long has it taken you to put the film together? Oh, it's a very good question. Because I think at one point we got through 16 pages in a day. So it was, I think that was like our record for <laughs> shooting. Um, I think actually the shoot itself took uh, 12 days, I think. 12, yeah, about that, 12 like, days, I think. Quite quick yeah. then. So we were really quick, yeah. Um, that was, <laughs> was probably the quickest shoot we've done, I think. I'm and there were sure. No, there's probably another one that's been quicker than that. But yeah, that's... That there were really occasions quick. where we just say, right, okay, camera. Yep, okay, we got that. Mm. Yeah, we think we got that. Yeah, we'll get that. Yeah, and then... And then goes to uh, couldn't make it to here today. Uh, we're basically checking the footage when he when he got home, and uh, yeah, and it was like, yeah, we definitely got that. Okay, cool. Let's move on to the next one. Yeah, so <laughs> excellent, absolutely excellent. Now it's coming to the Atrium Scott Cinema here, right in East Grinstead, isn't it? Yes. On the tenth of September. 
10th of September. So time is ticking away here, and you are obviously wanting more people to buy some tickets. Indeed. Yeah, Indeed we yeah. do. Yeah, as you do, because a lot of work's gone into this, hasn't it? Yes. Oh. Lots and lots of work. Yeah. Mm. It's been, well, I think we filmed it in, was it 2018, 2019? Yeah, 2018. 2018. Oh, really? So, so we filmed it quite a long time ago, but uh, there's been a lot of post-production, um, which Ghost has been involved with. Yeah. And... Um, yeah, now we just want people to see it. That's right. You know, it's and it's lovely the thought that you filmed it around East Grinstead, you know, mm-hmm. right here local to the town. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, really good that is. Now, as I said, you're both um, producers for this. Uh, you've done previous films, and did either of you produce that? Well, um, yeah. yeah, we uh, we produced the last one, uh, which was a, a horror film. Um, we did. We made that in Crawley Down. That was uh, Ravenstein. <laughs> oh yes, I remember so, that one. Yeah, mm. um, and that actually got a very good reception. A lot of people enjoyed that. Um, and we just, we, uh, yeah, we, we. I think we wrote the script in about. Oh, I don't know. It wasn't less long. Than, less than two weeks. We wrote that, and um, and then we just went out, took a f- some friends. We had a really small crew, not anywhere near the size that we had in Pavilion. Mm. And we had a really small crew, and we just uh, spent two weeks in Crawley Down. Uh, Yeah, sort of like late autumn, so it was very cold. And (laughs) Mm. perfect for a horror film, you know, like cold and like foggy, and, you know, it's great. But Ravenstein was well-received. Anybody wants to check that out, uh, go for it. That one's on Amazon. Is it? That one's on Amazon, yeah. Brilliant. Now, where did you find the actors then to take part? Were they friends or did they have to apply? What happened? Um, Tim Tim is a very close friend of ours. Yep, we've known him for, well, I think Ghost knew him first, but we've, yeah. we've all known him for many years. And uh, I can't really remember how we met Pip. Um, oh, I, I know. But Pip's lovely as well. So, um, so I believe um, there was a lady called Amber okay. and she mentioned to a few friends that they were you know we were looking for somebody to play this role and um she mentioned it to pip and then pip showed an interest and it meant that she could take some holidays so she came over and did it now you both wrote the script together did you uh, i i didn't write this one no. um, we, we, me and veshka we we sat and kind of worked out the structure of how things were and we came up with characters and then um uh yeah i think he kind of <laughs> we plotted it all out and then he sort of like spent a few days maybe writing and then okay. and then we yeah. but it's all new material oh gosh yes. yeah everything yeah, we show. do is is uh, we we make it up so, all original yeah, yeah it's all mm. original and was it easy for you to find the locations that you wanted for the filming in i suppose in order of finding the locations uh, it was easy because it was it was east court but um in terms of actually controlling what happened on the day uh, not so much because there would always be something going on, whether it be yeah. that I can like a football game or um, you know someone Barbecues. showing up barbecue. <laughs> yeah, barbecue. Oh, that was that was interesting. We had this one day um, when we were there, and we it, it always happens as soon as we start rolling the sound, something happens. It could be a, a quiet day all day, but as soon as that sound starts rolling, something happens. Really? A barbecue going on, you know, <laughs> like a ghetto blaster or something yeah, going was... around, you know. Like... So how really many out. have you got actually acting? Are you acting in this? Uh, I um, yeah. Oh, I, you're in I, this one. I, I like open this film. Yeah, yeah I appear, but I'm not in. I'm not a, a cast member. I'm you're not. not. I, okay. I'm just, I just. But you are. No, I, I'm not in this you're one. You're not either. No, okay. no. But once right. he isn't. No. <laughs> so how many other people have you got there actually playing the parts? Oh, um, I think it's probably about six or seven actors in terms of like cast pieces, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I think it's about yeah six or seven. Yeah. Now, what about mm. costumes? 
Costumes. Oh, that's a very good question uh, because there. I remember there was a few bits that we had to. So there was a few bits that we had to pick up. Uh, one of them was a jacket, and it was a red jacket, and we couldn't find anywhere that sold a red jacket. I'm looking around all the uh, different charity shops trying to find this jacket, um, but I think the red jacket was quite an important piece. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of like costume, it was. Um, Really, just actor's own clothes, so to speak. Oh, right. Yeah, no, we, okay. we we didn't use the red jacket in the end. Is what he's trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> Do we not after, use it in after, the end? After we actually found one, we didn't use it, and then I I uh, you know acquired it. Um, so it's probably at home somewhere. That's right, we didn't. I, I've just remembered that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now it's called Pavilion, and and I'm looking at your flyer here to support local filmmakers. So mm. the money is coming. Is that where that's going to your films or to anybody else's? Mm. Uh, well, I, I suppose uh, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a side note here. Uh, Walt Disney once said, we don't make movies to make money, we make money to make more movies. <laughs> and uh, what we usually do is each lot of money kind of funds the next one, so to speak. So uh, right. a lot of it comes out of our own pocket. Mm. So, um, How have you been raising money to put behind this, to do this? Do take some? Um, um, well, it, I suppose it first comes from employment. Uh, yeah. no, that's, that's the first one um, yeah that's the first way um, I suppose um, other means have been things like fest- um, we've we've uh, we've gone to Kickstarter and we've uh, you know uploaded um, a project onto there has that worked for you um, yeah it worked uh, uh, for the sword it worked for the sword and it worked for Ravenstein and um but it was it was for that that was different that was for classification i think wasn't yeah. it yeah whereas on this occasion we've 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 done it another way and it's actually just to support the crew basically right. and and the yeah the cast who we yeah. have to feed so it also yeah. Goes, <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh, also kind of uh, gone into things like promotion and things like that so it's uh, much more on the, the post side of things rather than the pre-production side of things. I mean, you've come up with some brilliant flyers, I've got to say. Double oh, thank you so flowers. much. Yeah, really impressive. We can't take all the credit for that. Uh, Evie did the designs for them. Yeah. Good luck with it all. Let's hope you get lots of people come along to the film. And uh, hopefully, where people have been before and they've really enjoyed it, they're going to come back and um, see, the, see your other films that you're going to produce. No, we hope so. So you're not so. stopping, are you? No, no, we've no. got a few more in the pipeline after ah. this. Another, yeah. another thing as well uh, to make a <clears throat> point of is that um, we also really like meeting people who are interested in filmmaking or interested in story writing, interested in costumes, interested in makeup, any of that. Anybody local that wants to get involved, we are kind of open arms to these people because no, it, it, communicating is one thing. And I think even just having a screening locally, hopefully people come along and they might show an interest as well mm. and want to be involved. Yeah. That's, that's what we're aiming for. One thing um, I've found, sorry. I was just going to say, it's quite an opportunity. There's not everywhere you can go and then get a part in a film, yeah. What I've, uh, what I've found is this, uh, this event is usually quite good for a promotional thing for other people as well. Um, there's been some people, like we've got a film that uh, we, funnily enough, uh, we were talking about today. We uh, shot it last summer and uh, we saw this one guy uh, in this picture and we thought, uh, hang on a second, where did we meet him? Oh, we met him <laughs> at the Sword premiere because he came in 
and came in to see the film and that's how we met him Mm -hmm. don't forget it is coming to the H.M. Scott Cinema on the 10th of September now that's not long is it so they need to jump out and get the tickets indeed they do or enter the competition yes or enter the competition (laughs) if they don't win the competition then they can still go and buy the tickets it gives them time indeed yeah that's lovely it's been really lovely talking to both of you well done I think your projects that you do are amazing oh thank you thank you so much for having us as well thanks And that's it for this week. We've got all the information on the features you've heard today on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. We'll be back with more of the same next week. Until then, don't forget to subscribe, leave us a comment, or even better still, a rating.